Hi, and welcome to episode 41 of 5 Minutes of Rum, Notes on Rum, A Few Minutes at a Time. My name is Kevin Updegrove. In this episode, I'll taste and talk about the Scarlet Ibis Rum from Trinidad, a rum specially commissioned for the New York Bar Death & Company. I'll also talk a little bit more about the Death & Company book, and then look at two very helpful tools for stirred cocktails, and finish it off with Death From Above. Now, before we get into the episode proper, I just want to take a quick moment and talk a little bit about uh, something I got to do a couple weeks ago at Tiki Caliente 7 in Palm Springs. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to give the first ever symposium at a Tiki Caliente event, and naturally it was on rum. So I did a talk there uh, for about 50 people called Rum 103, an elemental, an introduction to three elemental styles of rum and how to use them. Um, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we got to hold it in a historical location at the Caliente Tropics Hotel, and in the bar off to the side of the restaurant with some nice uh, volcanic rock on the sides and and uh, just a good atmosphere for it. Um, I want to thank the people there. I know there were some people that listened to the show that came out to the, the symposium. Uh, thank you very much. And then I also want to say thank you to the people that put up with the fact that uh, I kind of spent a couple weeks doing prep for that and got behind a little bit on shows. So I'm happy to be back doing an episode. Um, hopefully it, the wait wasn't too long, but I did take some time out for prep on that. Um, and hopefully I'll do more talks in the future. And if I do, or when I do, let me preface that by saying when I do, uh, I will make sure to let you guys know here and on the Five Minutes of Rum website. Uh, so if you're in- interested and in the area, you can come out and check it out. So again, uh, thanks and thanks to Rory for uh, he's the event organizer for Tiki Caliente for offering me the opportunity to do that. And also thank you to uh, very, a very special thanks to my sister and to my wife for the ones that really helped me put the thing together the day of. Uh, there wouldn't have been a symposium if I hadn't had them to help me. So thanks. So let's talk about the featured rum in this episode. Uh, that rum is, like I mentioned before, the Scarlet Ibis rum from Trinidad. It is a higher proof rum from Trinidad coming in just under 100 proof at uh, 98 or 49% alcohol by volume. Now the story behind this particular rum is that the New York Bar Death & Company were looking for a higher proof molasses based rum that could be utilized in stirred cocktails and not they weren't completely happy with what they found on the market. And so they teamed up with uh, Eric Seed, who is the proprietor of House Alpens, who are in the business of creating and importing specialty spirits. They're the ones behind Smith & Cross and St. Elizabeth Allspice Dram, who uh, 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 followers of this podcast may be familiar with. Uh, plus many other unique spirits, uh, Iraq, Jennifer, uh, Old Tom Jim, and other things. So there's a link to uh, uh, House Alpens in the show notes. Uh, I'd go check them out. The, so between these two entities, uh, they bought up some barrels of Trinidad rum and set about making a blend that would meet the profile that they were looking for. And once they got that blend, they dropped the proof to 98, uh, which is, again, 49% alcohol by volume. So a little bit higher than the standard, excuse me, a little bit higher than the standard 80 proof, uh, something that you know stands out a little bit more in a cocktail, especially a stirred cocktail, um, and but isn't quite so overpowering like uh, maybe a Smith and Cross where it starts to get into that overproof territory. And then the rum itself is named after the national bird of Trinidad, which is the Scarlet Ibis. Now, even though I'm a big fan of Smith and Cross and Batavia Iraq, I actually didn't know that Scarlet Ibis was another Alpins product. Uh, I knew the rum from seeing it on the shelf, but I sort of passed over it without giving it too much thought. So bad on me. Uh, but when I received the Death and Company book for Christmas this year and saw it referenced, I dug in a little bit more and almost immediately put it on the top of my shopping list once I knew that it was a something that was specially crafted for rum cocktails and that it was from the people that brought uh, Smith and Cross to market, which is one of my favorites. Um, I wanted I knew I, I wanted to try it and I'm glad that I went and got a bottle of it. 
Now, as far as the rum that's actually in the bottle, Ministry of Rum tells me that it's distilled by Trinidad Distillers Limited, the production company of Angostura. That in and of itself is not too shocking. Uh, they're, the, uh, Trinidad Distillers Limited are the premier, uh, maybe only rum makers on Trinidad. And if you see a Trinidad rum, it very likely came from them. Uh, all told, they produce 18 to 20 million liters a year of rum, uh, most of which is sold off as bulk rum to other uh, other folks that do their own bottlings, their own blends, etc. Angostura doesn't put out 18 to 20 million liters a year of their own rum, but they do a very, very large production. Uh, most of Trinidad's molasses is actually imported from other Caribbean locations, so it's not necessarily uh, sugarcane from Trinidad, um, but it's sourced from around the Caribbean. Uh, and again, it's, it's bottled at 98 proof, uh, 49% alcohol by volume. It's aged three to five years in American oak. I believe that's white American oak. And it's limited in quantity and distribution. Uh, it's made primarily for the Death & Company bar, with bottles also being sold in limited quantities in New York, California, and Washington, D.C. So we'll talk about the tasting in a couple moments here. But I would recommend getting at least one bottle if you can. If you see it on the shelf, pick it up. Uh, if you're able to order online, go ahead and do so. Um, I, but I'd also at the same time recommend not getting too attached. So by its very nature, quantities are limited. Uh, essentially it's bottled as the blend for the rum becomes available. Uh, so luckily I guess there don't seem to be very many rum drinkers in my area that are both that buy both good rum and shop at total wine. So I've been lucky enough to find bottles on a shelf locally. Uh, your mileage may vary depending on where you live. Um, but if you live in a more savvy location, you may not see it. So if you find a bottle, pick it up. Um, I think you'll find it interesting to say the least. Uh, even if you don't, you know, even if it's not your favorite, I think you'll find a, a very interesting rum. Uh, and again, like I said, you probably don't want to get too attached to it because if it does go away because of limited production quantities, then you're going to be stuck without it before you realize it. So in terms of uh, tasting the Scarlet Ibis rum, um, let's look at appearance first. Uh, in the glass, it's, it's blonde, uh, maybe a light gold, if you will. Uh, when it's swirled around, you get a thin line at the top and then develops long legs and, and heavy droplets on the side of the glass. Uh, for aroma, uh, I picked up spice, almost like a faint cinnamon when I inhaled it from the bottle itself. And in the glass, and once it's swirled, it opens up to some astringency on the nose, not unexpected with the proof. Um, a little hint of sweetness and less concentrated spice in wood. So it kind of changed a little bit when I smelled it from the glass after swirling it versus straight from the bottle. Uh, when it comes to taste, uh, I found it to have a nice body, maybe medium to full body, uh, plenty of spice and a touch of extra heat coming from that higher proof. Uh, lingers a little bit on the lips with a little bit of sweetness at the front of the sip. Uh, not a lot of sugar and not a lot of barrel. At least it's not overpowering in that way. Neither one of those would be what I would consider the prominent notes. Uh, and there's a decent amount of complexity in the rum. It's certainly not one note. Um, and lastly, one thing I found uh, somewhat unique about it is it's fairly dry for an English style rum. So typically I think of, if I think of a dry rum, I'm thinking of a Spanish style rum, an English style rum, I'm thinking with a little bit more body and a little bit uh, sweeter. This one uh, is actually, you know, fairly dry for, for an English style rum. Uh, when it comes to finish, I got more of that spice and heat on the finish and then picked up a little bit more of that cinnamon that I smelled before as opposed to maybe a more typical pepper spice uh, that you get from a rum. Now, I would say that uh, don't confuse picking up a hint of cinnamon, though, with considering this a spiced rum. It's most definitely not a spiced rum. Uh, that just happens to be the closest analogy that my palate was picking up to what I was smelling and, and tasting. Um, as you swallow, it picks up some heat in the back of the throat and then lingers um, 
uh, for quite a while in the back of the throat after the swallow, but you know, in a fairly pleasant way. Um, to sum up this rum, I found it to be a nice multi-dimensional rum that I'd probably steer towards mixing, uh, simply because I think it would give interesting results and present an interesting set of challenges. Uh, I like it neat as well, but it's really requesting to be mixed when I, when I taste it, that's what I'm getting from it. Uh, it's a lot like that other delicious Alpins rum Smith and Cross in that way. Uh, I like it neat, but I really want to mix it and play chemistry inside the glass. So let's talk a little bit about the Death and Company book again. Uh, it was first I first brought it up on episode 36 of this here show. Um, and if you want to go back, there's a link to episode 36 in the show notes, but don't forget, you can access 5minutesrum.com and look at the episode guide and see all the previous episodes on that page uh, in case there's something you want to go pick up and re-listen to, or if you're just joining the show, go back and catch up on other episodes. Anyways, plug over. Uh, the book itself. So Death and Company is a cocktail book for those that really like to nerd out on cocktails. It's written by the staff and the owners at a renowned cocktail bar in New York City of the same name. Uh, again, I'm slowly working my way through it, but it's absolutely recommended. I haven't read every word, but I've at least gone through the whole book and flipped through it. Uh, it has recipes of plenty across a wide spectrum of spirits. So not just rum recipes, although the rum recipes are very good, but you're also going to find recipes for many other spirits inside there. Um, in addition to that, there's a ton of great uh, other, quote-unquote, other great info inside. Uh, info, information on technique and a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like for a typical, typical day and night at the bar. Uh, there's notes from regulars uh, from the bar inside there and a ton of nice photographs, as you might expect from the style of book. It's sort of an odd hybrid of a coffee table book that's actually practical in the bar. Unfortunately, it's not exactly portable for throwing on a bar top, so it sits underneath our coffee table uh, on the shelf, uh, so it's on display and can be ticked out or can be taken out and reviewed. But for the most part, I've started taking pictures of the recipes that I want to try and then dropping those pictures into Evernote for safekeeping. Um, more often than not, uh, a smartphone is easier to wheel at the bar than a, than a full coffee table book. So do pick one up if you enjoy cocktails. I know you're going to like this book. And if you don't like cocktails, um, I appreciate you making it this far into this episode of this here show. Now, another thing uh, to note when it comes to cocktails and uh, cocktail nerdery is tools for stirred cocktails. So uh, also on a couple shows back, I talked about some different tools I'd gotten from Cocktail Kingdom, a uh, stainless steel shaker and a Hawthorne strainer. Um, I also want to talk about a couple other things I picked up there. Uh, and this was a mixing glass and a mixing spoon. The mixing spoon actually came from Amazon. We'll, we'll get to that. But I picked these up uh, in addition because I really wanted to work on stirred cocktails. So first, a short rule of thumb. If your cocktail is all spirits, it should be stirred. If your cocktail includes something other than a spirit like juice or sugar, it needs to get shaken. So with that in mind, like I said, I wanted to work on my stirred cocktail technique for things like old fashions and martinis. Um, I went and picked up a, a mixing glass and a mixing spoon. Now, please note, I didn't actually need any of these particular items, but I did want a true mixing glass to replace the tapered pint glasses I had been using. Um, and of course, that it also the other thing I wanted to replace was a, I wanted to get a spoon essentially for the bar that had some weight to it. Um, I had a couple other bar spoons that weren't that good, um, and they didn't really work well for, for stirring, which sounds kind of odd, like it's a spoon, how hard can it be in terms of stirring? But when you're going to stir a cocktail, um, it's important to have some balance uh, to it and having a better bar spoon gives you a little bit more balance, makes stirring a little bit easier. Uh, there's pictures for these items in the show notes, but I want to talk about each one of them here. Uh, just, you know, brief, a brief mention of each one. Uh, about the glass, uh, I picked up a seamless, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this right, Yarai, Y-A-R-A-I mixing glass from Cocktail Kingdom. Uh, there is a link in the show notes. It's a 
550 milliliter, which is about 19 ounces uh, mixing glass. So it's good for mixing one to two drinks at a time. Uh, it's got a nice weighted base and stays put on a bar mat. And I don't have a lot of experience with different styles of mixing glasses, so I can't really compare and contrast. But I've had this one for about five months. It's made quite a few old fashions in martinis because my wife really likes martinis. And I really do like this glass. Having straight sides in a mixing glass isn't a bad thing when it comes to stirring. Um, and plus, by using this and the stainless steel shaker tunes I got as well, I really cut back on my pint glass breakage. Now, the spoon itself is the spoon is arguably the more important of the two items when it comes to stirring because I've had a couple of poorly weighted bar spoons before and they just they don't they don't help you mix your cocktail all that well. Uh, cocktail Kingdom has some nice bar spoons, but I ended up getting a recommended model from Morgenthaler's Bar Book, which we discussed a few episodes back as well. There's a link to this in the show notes. I picked it up from Amazon. Um, once I had this spoon out of the box and in my hand, I knew that there was a difference, particularly because I can balance it on my fingers and the weight is evenly distributed between the, between the two ends. Uh, the spoon end has little teeth on it that frankly, I don't get used much in my bar, but I really like this model because the other end has a flat disc that can be used to muddle herbs and sugar in the bottom of a tin or a glass. So that's proven to be more useful to me than having a dedicated muddler. You can also get models that have uh, like a triton on the other end, which is essentially a fork, which will help you if you want to go in and stab a couple olives out of a jar, you can get those out. Um, and, you know, there's, I think the, there's some new Jeff Beachbum Berry branded models at Cocktail Kingdom that have a, I'm not sure how functional it is, but a very nice looking stainless steel skull on one of the spoons. So uh, check it out. If you don't have a really good bar spoon and you find yourself mixing cocktails, stirring cocktails, I should say, on a regular basis, uh, it's worth the investment to pick a good one up. And speaking of stirred cocktails, the recipe for this episode is called Death From Above. Death From Above is a rum old-fashioned from the Death & Company book and is a well-named rum old-fashioned. Uh, somehow my copy of the book fell open to page 270 when I had first cracked the spine. Uh, and this is the chapter on old-fashioned variations. And lo and behold, is the staring at me was the Death From Above, uh, an ingredient list that includes Lemon Heart 151, and two other kinds of rum, including the Scarlet Ibis that we mentioned previously in the episode, um, and that I had uh, had to go out and seek once I saw this recipe. Um, and I was sold on the recipe pretty much at that point. Uh, and luckily, the particular sherry that was called for in the recipe was also in stock at my local Total Wine. Uh, this recipe is a creation of Thomas Waugh, I think I'm saying his name right, W-A-U-G-H, a one-time head bartender at Death & Company. Now, I've kind of loosened up on my stance a little bit when I talked about uh, the three rum old fashioned back in episode 23, I was kind of of a mind that an old fashioned, I was very narrowly focused on thinking that should be made with uh, whiskey or rye whiskey. And if you were going to make it with rum, you should call it something else. I've kind of understand now that that's just a, that's the parlance that people use. A particular kind of old fashioned or rum old fashioned uh, is just, you know, the accepted name. So I'm going to go with that. Um, the recipe for the death from above is one ounce of lemon heart 151. Uh, you can sub uh, substitute Hamilton 151 as needed. Three quarter ounce of Scarlet Ibis rum. One quarter ounce of Cruzon Blackstrap rum, and measure that carefully. A little bit of Cruzon Blackstrap goes a long way. One teaspoon of Lustau East India Solera sherry. A quick note on sherry: sherry is a fortified wine made from white grapes. Uh, sherries are differentiated primarily by color, with the heavier, darker style spending more time in a barrel. Uh, incidentally, used sherry barrels seem to pop up more and more in specialty aged situations with spirits and beer these days. 
Uh, you can learn more about sherry in the link in the show notes uh, over at Wikipedia. Uh, just know that it's a flavorful, fortified wine that can be helpful in cocktails, much like port can be helpful in some cocktails. Uh, you may even know sherry from its use in some of Trader Vic's fog cutter variations. Now, back to the recipe. After that one-ounce teaspoon of uh, the East India Solera sherry, we want to add one teaspoon of cane syrup, one dash of Angostura bitters, and two dashes of Death & Company house bitters, house orange bitters, excuse me, uh, which sounds a little daunting, but they will tell you that it's equal parts Fee's orange bitters, Reagan's orange bitters, and Angostura orange bitters. I happen to use one dash of each because I didn't want to batch all three ingredients just to get two dashes out. Yes, even I have my limits when it comes to complicated cocktails. Uh, stir all of those ingredients over ice in your uh, cool mixing glass with your cool mixing spoon, and then strain it into a double old-fashioned glass over either one large ice cube or an ice ball. Uh, garnish that with one lemon twist and one orange twist. Now I have mine right here. Let's take a sip. Mm. Ah. So... Um, Beware, uh, ounce for ounce, it's not that big of a cocktail, but with the full ounce of 151, it is going to hit you. Um, however, with the skillful blend that is in there of the bitters, the sherry and the sugar, and the other rums, kind of knocks that perceived power of the Lemon Heart 151 all the way back. So it actually is still just as powerful. You're just not getting it as if you were to take a sip of one ounce of 151. You're getting something much more layered, much more complex, uh, but it is packing just the same amount of punch, so you're not going to notice it. So sip that slowly and enjoy. And that's the reason for the large ice cube. The large ice cube will melt slower because of all that extra surface area. So you can let the cocktail linger in your glass without worried about it getting too diluted, uh, as opposed to like crushed ice where a cocktail is gonna dilute faster than that because many more smaller pieces of ice will melt that much quicker. And hey, this cocktail's got a cool sounding name, Death From Above, so what's not to like about it? That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5 minutesofrumcom The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe, rate the show, and even leave a review there. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's at symbol number 5 Minutes of Rum. You can send in comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via either the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum. <laughs>